Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Where To Go. I'm James Atkinson, Senior Brand Manager at DKI Witness. And I'm Lucy Richards, Senior Editor at DKI Witness. And welcome to Where To Go, where every fortnight we find out more about the world's favourite travel destinations with those people who know those places best. But this week, we have one of our special episodes. So one of our, like, we sort of call them like tra- kind of travel lives episodes, where we interview someone uh, who's just, you know, it's got more than one destination they can talk about, <laughs> who can... Uh, really kind of give us an insight into just the kind of vast uh, sort of experiences that you can have around the world. And I think this person really, really personifies that. So yeah. Um, So Lucy, who are we talking to today? So in this episode, we're going to be joined by a very special guest indeed, award-winning travel writer Emma Thompson, who's painstakingly, it must be said, whittled down three of her favourite destinations to talk to us about. Specifically, and James, you, I know you didn't ask me if I've been to any of these places because you know I haven't been. Because her three destinations are Greenland, the Marquesas Islands and in Polynesia and Iran. So, yes. And also really nice geographical spread of places, three very different destinations. I don't think we've ever quite spanned that much geography uh, in, in one podcast, have we? Nick Butter... Oh, he Nick Butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. P- quite possibly, but quite similar Yeah, in terms of range. Um, yes. But yeah, I'm not particularly shocked that you've never been to either of <laughs> any of these three places. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, as well, like my knowledge of these three places is pretty low. Like um, I'd say like Iran's maybe the one that I know best. And and yeah, I kind of only really know it from a like uh, sadly like a kind of recent news and and politics kind of point of view and actually would be really really interested to find out a little bit more but i think emma is one of those those writers who really kind of gets under the under the surface of a place um really wants to find out more about local culture and communities and uh listeners i think you're in for a real treat uh hearing what she's got to say just to introduce 
who Emma actually is. Yes, here we go. So Emma is an extremely well-seasoned, multi-award winning travel journalist who has travelled and written for leading publications such as The Times, The Telegraph and National Geographic Traveller, not to mention guidebooks for the likes of Rough Guides and also us here at DK. So... Welcome, Emma. Hello. Hello. Brilliant to have you on the podcast um, at long last. Yes, So as it's one of our special episodes today, we're going to be covering free destinations. But first, let's get to know Emma a little better. So Emma, how did you fall into the world of travel writing? Well, I was a bit of a nerd from early on, actually. I I was travel obsessed since I think probably the age of two, three. I remember um, (laughs) catching a plane, we're living up in Scotland, catching a plane down to visit my grandmother who lived in London and looking out the window and having a very clear thought of, I have to see as much of this world as possible. And it sort of just escalated from there, really. And, um, you know, I would spend my lunchtimes in the library, researching places. And and then when I left school, I... um, when I was at uni, we had a student newspaper and uh, they didn't have a travel section. So I, you know, full of gusto, was like, you need one. <laughs> so <laughs> I would, uh, I started off doing that and, um, and yeah, I was just a real geek. I got loads of work experience in my uni holidays and um, that actually was really useful because a lot of questions I get asked is about how to break that sort of catch-22 of getting published if you're not published, but no one giving you a chance if you're not. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah and so, yeah. Um, so yeah, I I was living in Oxford at the time, and they have the Oxford Times newspaper there, and they had like a one page travel section with a lovely guy, but he I think he'd been doing it for like sixty years, and I said, oh, can I can I write a piece, you know, while I'm here? And so I self funded a trip and wrote about that, and that was my first published piece, and that was was great. And um, yeah, just did work experience with Lonely Planet and Wanderlust, and um, and finally Brat. Uh, travel guides of course yeah and I was just really lucky like when I finished the placement there they said um do you fancy a job and I said yes please (laughs) (laughs) excellent (laughs) um and obviously Emma I mean you've traveled so much as a travel writer what what do you love most about the job I guess apart from the obvious um what, what is it about travel writing occasionally you I mean I don't know if this sounds bad or not but occasionally you do get to nudge the world a little like I really love sort of covering destinations that you know are recovering from political upheaval or a natural disaster and occasionally you know you do get the chance to to cover these stories where you know for instance I was thinking like back to Turkey you know in 2017 they were really reeling from like a military coup in, at the end of 2016 mm-hmm. and they'd had quite a few isolated yeah. terrorist attacks. And, you know, Turkey is a huge country, but everyone was just avoiding yeah. it en masse. And, you know, the foreign mm-hmm. office, they hadn't updated their advice. And so they lost like half their tourist numbers overnight. And mm-hmm. all these local businesses were just reeling and it went on for years and um, maybe like two or three years. And... um so I went over and, and I did a piece there and introduced, interviewed locals who had the small businesses and small guest houses and, and did a piece. And, um, and it was really nice because I got letters back from them afterwards saying that it sort of made a difference and people were coming back and they'd seen bookings increase. And so that's nice to know that sort of you're just making a small difference. That's the, the kick I get out of it. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. That's that's really cool. Uh, and you've chosen to talk about three very different places yeah. today. Uh, so 
We're going to start off by talking about Greenland. Uh, then we're going to, and you'll have to correct me on my pronunciation here, uh, talk about the Mar- Marquesas. Marquesas? Uh, Marquesas Islands, Marquesas. yeah. Marquesas. Mar- Mar- Marquesas Islands in Polynesia and then Iran. Uh, we know you had a lot of options. You actually gave us more options than that as well. I think we had quite a difficult <laughs> job yeah. by pulling that down. Uh, but how did you go Most down? Geographical like, spread. Che- it was, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why we went yeah. for them. But uh, we know you had a lot of options. How did you go about choosing them? Well, Greenland's an interesting one because I was originally. Um, sent there because it was really being built up as the new Iceland. Iceland's sort of, you know, getting a hard mm. rap at the moment of being too crowded and certain areas mm, are. Yes. Um, and everyone's like, oh, Greenland's next door. That's <laughs> that's the nearest alternative. <laughs> and, and it couldn't be more different in many ways. Um, Iceland mm. is incredibly well set up for tourism and Greenland is... It's, it's just not like there there are mm. no roads apart like apart from you know the one main town through sorry main one main road through town mm. um mm-hmm. you have to get everywhere by boat or small aircraft still and it's you know it's covered by this ancient ice cap which is the size of spain and the population mm. i think it's something around fifty six thousand, which is tiny compared to the massive yeah. landmass are just sort of yeah, old, yeah. like leaking out living on the fringes um, but that's the surprising thing about it. People think, oh, it's just the ice cap, but it's actually really mm. verdant in summer where you've got mm. sort of, you know, like crowberries growing in amongst the, the plants and you've got wild mushrooms and it's, I mean, it's great for foraging if people are into foraging. Um, and it just has such an intact culture still because it is very new to tourism. Mm. Mm. So it's... It's a it's a great way of um, seeing sort of Inuit culture and and um, and also you know I've noticed this growing trend of people really enjoying silence when they go places or just really wanting yeah. to disconnect yeah, yeah. and okay. yeah. you yeah, know yeah. there's not a huge amount of Wi-Fi and it is <laughs> it has this incredible sense of silence around it. I mean most of the soundtrack is just like the bergs cracking in the bay or you know occasional like bark of one of the the dogs but it's yeah it really sinks into you and chills you out and it's lovely and how about the marquesas islands um uh and and uh how did you go about picking those so it's so remote this group of islands uh it's about 12 islands only six of them are inhabited um but a lot of famous people have visited them so Mm. You can come to that later if you want, but it's yes. um, okay. Yes. Okay, yeah. There is quite uh, a let's, sort of let's... like lovely history of writers um, and artists visiting them, so I was quite intrigued. And then, and then finally, we were talking about Iran, which I think I'm most. I was actually a little bit late to, to join this uh, this recording because I was in a world reading about Iran. So I'm really looking forward to hearing you talk about Iran, Emma. I must say. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of the most misjudged places I've been. Yeah. You know, a lot of mm. people you know, are still um, have their opinions informed by, you know, news reports or, you know, the FCO sure. warnings and things like that. And it's very different on the ground. Yes, it still has its troubles, but it's a completely different world on the ground. Great. Three fantastic destinations. Uh, let's find out a lot more about them. So when did you first visit Greenland? So I went twice. The first time was in 2018. And Mm -hmm. as I say, it was sort of um, 
this idea that it could be the new Iceland, but they're also um, really starting to look towards tourism because they mm. have uh, two problems. One is, as you know, it's owned by Denmark, but they rely yep. hugely on subsidies. I think it's something like five. $191 million a year that they get sort of bailed out each year, um, oh. which as a source of pride for them is not great. Um, but also um, mining companies are sort of really sort of knocking on the door to get their huge mm. deposits of like uranium and iron and things. Um, mm. And obviously that is not a sustainable form of income. It might be, you know, short wealth for them, but they really want to try and do things more sustainably, which is why they're looking mm. to the tourism. Um and the second time was I was um, sailing down the coast of Greenland and then across to uh, northern Canada. So I spent cool. some time there again as well. It was, both times were fantastic. Really cool. Very cool. Uh, uh, I mean, when I think of, you sort of touched on this, Emma, but when I think of Greenland, I mean, it's just, as you said, like a huge expanse of ice and then it's that kind of southwest corner that feels that that's where the, the that's the where most is. of the action is happening and i say yes. action as a loose yeah, term yeah. but um <laughs> <laughs> what, so what sort of activities can you actually do in greenland so they are sort of upping their game and they will offer you know in winter yeah. like snowmobiling tours or dog sledding um obviously whale watching incredible up there um it's amazing for hiking in summer. Um, there's a the Arctic uh, Circle Trail, which I think is like 160 kilometers, where you can camp along it. Beautiful. Um, amazing. But for me, as I said, the appeal is just to get this sense of real sort of frontier life. I mean, a lot of the communities, these are these are not homes that have sort of, you know, the picket fence around them and you're more likely to have like, you know, antlers hanging up than the washing line sort of thing. And <laughs> and um, everyone has like working dogs. And, and so it was just these opportunities to see, um, you know, everyday activities that you, you just wouldn't like, you know, the, the guys would come in and they would have, you know, be flensing a seal, like skinning the seal on the dock, yeah. which okay. could be quite confronting for some people. But again, this is, you know, part of their culture. They use every part mm. of the animal. There's no waste. They don't over um, hunt them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just seeing like you'd see the drying racks out the, sun the front of the homes with um, whale built on drying. Um, mm. um, and just... They've got a wonderful, like, um, protected costume as well. There's one thing I'd say is like a really good start to understand Greenland is um, there was a guy called, uh, and forgive my pronunciation now, Knud Ramesson. So he was half mm -hmm. Danish and half Greenlandic, but he um, spent, he grew up there from when he was a child. And he sort of became sort of the father of Inutology and because he spoke the language, he knew how to do, uh, work the dogs. And he, he noted down a lot of their, um, you know, oral histories. And there's a really great museum um, in Uliasat, which is about an hour flight north of the capital Nook. Um, yes. And it's such a good place to start to really sort of get under the skin of the place a bit incredible sort of hand drawing uh, etchings that he'd done and, and carvings and yeah it's, it's really good great cool. um uh so you mentioned a little bit about um uh, about kind of the whale biltong and the skinning of the seal etc uh did you did you actually sample any of the local food when you were there so they have again pronunciation but it's called kinyak which are the oxy okay. birds which have been fermented inside seal skin which is meant to be a delicacy 
I, ha- I haven't tried it. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently, it's more of a, a winter thing, and uh, I was visiting during summer. So, <laughs> but maybe I maybe I got off lightly there because apparently the smell is atrocious. <laughs> yeah, I was I, I was going to say I'm, I'm not entirely sure how how appetising that sounds to be, but there's always next time. Yeah, right? but they have yeah. things like you know muskox and obviously a lot of fish like halibut, and they smoke it, which it tastes mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. It tastes great. And in fact, there's, if you want a restaurant recommendation, there's um, a fantastic one um, that's part of a lodge. Uh, it's called Ilmanac Lodge, um, and it's not far mm. from Uliasat, and fantastic, fantastic food. They sort of really good. reimagine the sort of Greenlandic cuisine to sort of elevate it. <laughs> it's always good to have recommends, definitely for restaurants as well. And and in terms of like you mentioned about the kind of lack of infrastructure as well in Greenland, um, uh, have you kind of seen? Is it starting to build up a little bit? Or, uh, is it more accessible to go? Um, n- not really. I mean, because of the the harshness of the conditions there, um, it, mm. just to keep the roads clear is a huge amount of work. So that's why I say it's so sparse yeah. still. Mm. So yeah, everyone just uses boats or planes to get around still, or or on foot. I mean, you can <laughs> you can hike to your tent, but no, it's it's still. Um, in its infancy and and Ilmanac Lodge as I mentioned that's sort of part of a new generation where they're trying to do this sustainable tourism model um Mm. but um you know in most towns you'll visit there's maybe like one or two places to stay maybe one restaurant um most people Mm. just grab supplies from the supermarket and do their own thing it's uh as I say it's great frontier living and it's it feels very adventurous it's lovely yeah it sounds adventurous very cool very cool. Really <laughs> very, very cool. I must Freezing in winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> just, a, just a little bit cool. Um, okay, cool. Well, uh, we've heard about Greenland. Now on to the Marquises. So, Emma, the Marquises Islands, which are in Polynesia, what did you make of them? I mean, they're incredibly remote and paradise-like mm. what did you make of them when you uh, you know arrived well it's funny so I'm going to paraphrase well not even paraphrase quote two writers now because so Paul Theroux he visited in 1991 when he was writing the happy mm-hmm. um Isles of Oceania and he said they were the most beautiful islands on earth and I love this the tableau on which travelers can paint their fantasies so that gives mm. you a sort of an idea of their beauty. I mean, it's these jagged, jungle-clad mountains tumbling down into just pristine, you know, the pristine Pacific. Um, whereas mm. Robert Louis Stevenson, who when he visited in, I think it was 1888, he said, oh, they're just like the Scottish Highlands. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, not everyone's cup of tea, but um, <laughs> no pleasing some. It's quite, a, it's quite a long way to go just to see the Scottish <laughs> yeah, Highlands, exactly. right? That's a- well, what, well, what did you think? What, what, which side are you, Paul, or are you, are you Again, I'm just drawn to these sort of, you know, raw places that are sort of really off the beaten track. And it is entirely that. It's, um, mm. again, they have a very intact uh, local culture um, that's highly mm-hmm. steeped in sort of mysticism and shares, you know, these links with Easter Island and, and um, the rest of the, the Polynesian sort of islands. And... Um, it's just a place, and this sounds a bit cliche, that you need to experience and just 
being that again yeah. there's not it's not a sense that there is this big bucket list of things to see and do to tick off it's just yeah. this mm-hmm. vibe it's this there's a sense of communion with nature that isn't cliched it's entirely their way of life that really sort of connects you to something deeper if that doesn't sound too too cheesy um and it does stay with you and wonderful yeah yeah uh, so can you tell us a little bit more about the people who live on the islands so they um i think they were i might be wrong here but i think they were one of the last polynesian archipelagos to be colon like colonized just Mm -hmm. because of the sheer distance like everyone would be you know in the outrigger canoes sort of paddling um and it's Mm. to give you a sense i mean you can fly there from tahiti now but i took um a cargo uh boat and i I think it takes three days of non-stop sailing just to get there from tahiti so it gives you a sense of their isolation um and they you know (laughs) like most sort of uh communities in that area they really were put through the ringer i mean they had you know, the Spanish, I think, turned up um, in sort of the 1500s, as they were like to do. And, you know, when when they arrived, um, the, the communities were still practicing cannibalism. Everyone was covered in tattoos. Um, of course, you know, they freaked out, shot a whole load of them. And that was, you know, the mm. community's mm. first sort of uh, encounter with Europeans. And then they were sort of left alone for a couple hundred years. Um, Catholic missionaries turned up. Again, freaked out. You know, they were far too naked, enjoying sex far too much and uh, sort of stamped all that out and um, (laughs) banned the practicing of uh, tattooing, which is incredibly uh, like a cornerstone of their culture. Um, Mm. It's... uh, I can go into a little bit if if you like. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, so, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, yeah. The, the the tattoo artist in the in the communities um, they act almost in a sort of shaman like way, where if a man has lived a you know first of all the the job is passed down within those families. It's not like anyone can become like a tattoo artist there, and. If a man has lived a good life, he should be entirely covered with tattoos by the time he dies. So every sort of event of his life is marked with a set of symbols. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you would go to, and this is still practice now, you would go to one of these men and you tell him your life story. And then he chooses the symbols where they should go and, and marks them on your body. And um, I actually had a funny story. So I was interviewing quite a few of uh, the guys out there about it and uh one of them I became quite friendly with and he said um you know would, would you like one because women have it too yeah mm-hmm. and I was like okay <laughs> and it was only when I was sort of on the lying, lying down where I suddenly <laughs> thought wait a minute <laughs> I have like no say over the size shape form this thing that's going to be on my body forever but luckily it turned out really nicely <laughs> Oh, good. Oh, so you did get one. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it's it's on the Great. side of the side of my body, but it was it was quite painful when he hit the ribs. I had to do some serious meditating. But um, yeah, yeah. Is it kind of is it kind of like a like a sort of stick and poke yeah. style yeah. Uh, thing? Yeah, or, they do yeah, use like yeah, pig yeah. bone and then yeah hammer away. 
And did you oh. so did you tell him some of your life story and then yeah. he chose? Oh, that's amazing, yeah. Emma! What an experience! Yeah, it was amazing. It was. What what did he depict? Or so it's hard to describe, but essentially, so there's a hibiscus flower in the centre, which is you know a very common flower on the islands, and then spanning out from that is a sort of series of symbols that sort of flow northwards and southwards, and that this the hibiscus flower depicts the division between land and sea, and so the bottom symbols are associated with sea and safe travel because obviously I came there by boat. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then the top one, um, he actually gave me um, one of their ancient symbols, which is um, two, actually. One is symbolises mana, which is like the energy that sort of um, the life force of the islands, essentially. And, um, mm-hmm. and the second is a tiki figure. And the tikis um, are very similar to the Moai on Easter Island. Okay, yeah. And they symbolise um, their ancestors. So it's a sort of nice token of, like, our ancestors go with you sort of thing. So. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> that sounds incredible. What an experience. Yeah, I was very lucky. And what, what, what a lot to fit into the one tattoo <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're going to get one tattoo. There you go. That's, uh, <laughs> go to, to, go to Marquise's. Uh, um, so, yeah, do you have any... So if someone did want to visit uh, Marquise's... Um, uh, You've said about you know you can fly from Tahiti now, but are there any like sort of specific travel trips uh, tips for for getting there or experiencing? I mean, it? like as I said, you can fly, but there is this boat, the Aranui Five, which I would far recommend sailing with if you can, because as I said, it's a, a working cargo ship, so it takes you know like cement, mm-hmm. cars, sugar to the islands, and then it's yeah. got pass- uh, places for passengers as well. I mean, it's not like that rough and ready don't worry there's still like a dining room and things like that and nice <laughs> nice rooms <laughs> um, and you just really get that sense of arriving in a place slowly and yeah. um, mm. it also you know it stops off at, at most of the main islands as well so that's a really good way of seeing them um, there's a couple of you know ceremonial complex sites which are worth seeing sort of on Nikohiva mm. which is um, uh, which you'll stop at uh, Nikohiva is probably, I'd say, probably the quietest capital you're ever going to encounter in your life. I mean, there's literally like a bank, one shop and a church. <laughs> but, um, um, but then the other island, which is um, Hiva Oa, is obviously famous. I, I made reference to it being visited by some famous people in the past. So yes. as well as like pull through and uh, Louis, Robert Louis Stevenson, you had... Um, Herman Melville, who wrote Moby Dick, he yeah, yeah, like yeah, jumped yeah. ship there in the 1840s because he, he didn't enjoy his whaling job. And he ended up writing, which if you want some background reading, a book called uh, T.P., which is it's, it's a, a novel. Mm. And then um, Paul Gauguin and Jacques Brel are both buried there. So Jacques Brel, you know, the famous yeah. Belgian singer, he, um, yeah, yeah. it was in the latter years of his life, he was sadly dying from lung cancer. And um, mm. But the locals loved him. Like he would use his plane to like drop mail off between the islands and take the kids to school between islands. Um, <laughs> Gauguin, not so much. Uh, he had well, got several underage girls pregnant, spread syphilis. Um, yeah, was drunk most of the time on absinthe. Um, so yeah, they didn't love him so much. I mean, there is still like a, um, a small museum to him because obviously you know his his painting was incredible but um yeah so they're buried both buried in uh the cemetière de calvaire um which is on uh 
you've all uh, so you can't miss oh. seeing those <laughs> all right uh well that's a great introduction to the marquises and yeah onwards to quite a different country now uh we're going to talk about iran if you've been inspired by this episode and want to start planning your next adventure, then DKR Witness will have the book for you. Explore hundreds of destinations in our newly updated DKR Witness or Top 10 Guides, get insider tips on the world's biggest cities with our new Like a Local series, or get bucket list planning with our inspirational books, including the new Gardens of the World and Hike. Find all those and so much more via the link in our episode bio or by visiting your local bookshop. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, Ebba, can you quickly just remind us a little bit about why you why you chose to talk about Iran? I think because it is just such a misunderstood country where so many of our opinions are formed by the news reports and, you know, foreign office mm. warnings. And I just wanted to see what the reality was on the ground. And um, I was just very lucky that um, National Geographic were open to, to commissioning me. And, and so I went for them. And because I think, do you remember when that film Argo came out? about the, the hostage yes, situation yeah, yeah. in the 70s. Yeah, 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 I think, you know, a lot of people's opinions have sort of stopped around that period because that also mm. marked the transition from sort of the Persian monarchy to the reign of the Ayatollahs. And obviously there was a huge yeah. shift in culture then. But, it, you know, we forget that its history extends so much further back than that. And there's yeah. actually some mm. really surprising mm. elements to it. Um, you know, this is, you know, also the birthplace of Zoroastrianism which is like one yep. of the world's oldest uh, monotheistic religions. Um, and it's, they have a place um, linked to Zoroastrianism, which are the Towers of Silence. So um, Zoroastrians, they believe that if you, um, you know, burnt a corpse, it would pollute the air, or if you buried it, it would pollute the earth. And so what they do is they mm. would lay the corpses in circles on these Towers of Silence, where, sorry, it's not very nice, but they would essentially be picked clean by the birds, but that was considered a clean death. And these, you know, this is a practice that's 3,000 years old, and some of these terrorists still exist on the outskirts of Yazd, which is one of the main wow. towns. So you can visit places like that. Um, you've obviously got um, the UNESCO site of Persepolis, which was... Um, mm-hmm founded by Darius the Great. And one of the great facts I love about this, you know, Iran's obviously given, you know, um, criticised heavily for its politics. But this was a place where Darius the Great hosted essentially what was the first United Nations. So he invited ambassadors from all across the empire to gather and have like the first democratic discussions. So there'd be like the Nabataeans and the Babylonians. And, you know, that's something that gets lost a bit. Yeah, 
And then also, you know, it's yeah, yeah, the the recent history kind of like overshadowing exactly, exactly. that kind of yeah. And um, it was also, you know, on the main artery of the Silk Road. So you've got this huge, incredible mm. history of trade. You know, the silks and the and the spices and the ivory and the porcelain and um, and what people also don't know is, you know, you're not just staying in, you know, clinical hotels. You have these. Um, caravanserai which um during the silk road heydays they would be posted every 20 miles and it was 20 miles because that was the length a camel could walk in a day um (laughs) and you know there used to be like over a thousand in iran and there is one um that's been sort of restored and you can stay there and you're sleeping on a mattress in the stables or the former stables but it's just incredible that sort of you know preserved sense of history so it's these yeah. elements you wouldn't expect, yeah. And like kind of like connecting with like those journeys that so many people have taken in the past as well, I guess, and like kind of seeing it a bit through their eyes. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Iran is absolutely huge. Mm. Um, I don't think I appreciated how big it is. Do you have any sort of favourite places in Iran or, or anywhere that you would recommend listeners go if they, uh, you know, if, if they are heading that way? So... One place that is well visited now but is unmissable is Esfahan because it is it was a centre. I mean, the the main square that it centres around, uh, Nashijan Square, is the largest in the world, I believe. Um, and it once served as the polo field where the where the, there was a palace on one flank of the, the rectangle and it was this incredible massive polo field. I think they might have played with human heads at one point. But don't quote me on that. But um, <laughs> um, but it has this incredibly rich um, artistic community where you have um, Mina Karai, which is um, sort of copper work that's been hand painted in sort of beautiful aqua blue and white colours. Mm. It's incredibly detailed. Mm. And you have uh, miniaturists, which are men that can paint portraits that are no bigger than your thumb, but wow. they paint them with a single... Um, like the single hair of a paintbrush. Um, You have to hold a magnifying glass up and you can see the individual hairs on a man's beard and it's incredible work. Um, So it's just wonderful, you know, wandering around there. And then the other really incredible place is uh, Shiraz because, you know, that's where uh, Hafez and Saadi, the Persian poets, were born. So it's a very yeah. romantic city. It's like they call it the city of like roses and wine and nightingales. And and um, you also have, I mean, it's it's been quite Instagram to death now, but there is, um, it's the, the pink mosque or uh, Nazir Ulmurk Mosque. And if you visit in the morning, its windows are these incredible sort of fractured stained glass uh, patterns. And in the morning, the sunlight shines through them to create these kaleidoscopic patterns on the floor of the mosque. And it's, Mm. it is, it's quite, it's quite a spiritual experience. Um, And so that's very popular to to visit. So if you're going the first time, I definitely recommend those places. Very, very cool. And um, you sort of have talked about this a little bit already, but like, um, uh, obviously, there's lots of preconceptions about what Iran is today, but are there any other kind of like preconceptions or myths you'd like to bust about Iran? So one thing I would say is that 
The division between the old and the new generations is becoming more and more mm. marked. I mean, I'm sure you've heard stories of um, the younger generation. They'll sort of host house parties and they'll sort of, you yep. know, walk through the streets sort of covered. And then, you know, they get inside and they throw off and they're, you know, head to in Gucci. And it's it's a very stylish place. Um, and I was reminded that over and over again. I you visited the country twice now and... Um, they are very keen to make it clear to, to, to visitors that, you know, not all that you hear is the truth um, yeah. and mm. that they are very progressive. A lot of the women, you know, were, you know, in full time university education, doing engineering degrees, all that. Um, and I think one of my favourite memories actually was I was outside a restaurant and um, an old lady was sat on a bench and we got to talking and she had like two teeth or something in her mouth. Like she was very, very old. And um, she said, she you know, took my hand and sort of squeezed it. And she's like, oh, guests are, you know, so dear to us. And um, and she said, you know, we're not like Saudi Arabia. And she sort of drew up her black veil to sort of signal signal the, the wearing of the burqa. Yeah. And she said, um, she said, we're not like that. And she said, she said, anyway, it's it's your queen who's not free. She said she's always having to wear those same outfits all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Good point. And, uh, I mean, I was... I was thinking with the Jubilee stuff the other weekend, like how all the kids have to wear those little sailor yeah. uniforms and stuff. No kid wants to do exactly. that. That's a, <laughs> it's a good point. <laughs> so and it, I just love the way she sort of flipped the script on me. And I was like, yeah. Um, and that's definitely what you'll get if you go to Iran. It's, um, you know, it's always hitting the headlines occasionally, but most of the times it's it's, it's stable enough to visit. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you visit Tehran as well when you were there? Briefly. I mean, I tend to, it sounds awful, I tend to avoid capitals <laughs> yeah. because they're sort of a sort of microcosm of their own. They're not hugely representative. I mean, Tehran sure. is like very progressive. I mean, a lot of the women will just sort of have their headscarf dangling off the back of the bun of their head or something. Um, whereas mm. as you go further out, it's perhaps more adhered to um, or whatever. But so I prefer to visit the sort of more out of the way towns. Um, I find they're more representative of, you know, the general sense of a place. Yeah, the re- the real kind mm, of culture and mm. stuff. Well, you, you've given us a really interesting window into uh, into Iran there, and uh, yeah, hopefully inspire a couple of visits as well. Yeah, um, we'll have to go. <laughs> and also, can I just say it's just so wonderful at last, Emma, to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Fabulous. Just good to listen to you all day. Honestly, thank you so much. As we say, listener, Emma did give us a long, long list as well. We kind of picked up three very, very different examples you gave us. But I think, I feel like you could talk about so many different countries. What were right. your other rec- What were your other suggestions, Emma? I think I recommended Sudan. And... Sudan, that was it. There was St. Helena as well. Um, oh, yeah, that's a quirky one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is really, really quirky. Um, so... Yeah, but thank you so much for talking us through those three examples. And uh, yeah, so wonderful to have you on the podcast. And I'm sure we shall catch up with you very soon. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Genuinely, that was um, so fascinating. Emma has just met. Emma genuinely is a prolific traveller and writer. Mm. Um, And as we said, you know, she's won various awards Mm. um, and is hugely respected in the industry. But you can tell why she's so spectacular. Just how she managed to 
set the scene for us and her yeah. incredible anecdotes the tattoo one um i just loved yeah what yeah, an amazing yeah experience what a great tattoo like i feel like i've got a couple of tattoos and people always get really <laughs> bored of my answers when i just say that <laughs> they're like things i like or something but that's like the one of the best tattoo stories you can have what uh, yeah. And, it, yeah and and i think it's like a really nice example uh we talked about it in the intro but like you know of how emma kind of like beds into local culture how she kind yeah. of um how she tries to get under the skin of, of what a place is really really about that the the, the old lady in iran and i know um, i know it, it, so good I, yeah this uh i sorry i was just thinking james i love your uh description of get under the skin when talking about emma's tattoo oh yeah right well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, did so, um, it did sound a bit painful uh yeah, yeah it did say. sound painful um, um but yeah it was just it was a wonderful wonderful episode and emma was a fabulous guest so big thank you to her and if you want to follow emma on her all her incredible adventures and read some of her incredible writing listeners mm. you can catch up with her on instagram at emma thompson travels yes and i highly recommend reading some of her articles and Definitely. pieces as well like uh yeah if, if you've got you've just got a taster of, of of what emma's about in this podcast there's there's a hell of a lot more out there so yeah uh, so in our next episode it's one of those ones lucy we don't know where we're going who no knows? <laughs> you know, we're ahead of schedule here. Um, yes. But, you know, listener, maybe you have got an idea of somewhere where we should go next. If so, let us know at DKR Witness. Uh, it's all of our social handles. And uh, yeah, in, but until then, it's bye from me. And it's bye from me. And we shall see you very soon. Where to Go was produced by the team at DK Witness and the wonderful Julia Baker. It was presented by James Atkinson and Lucy Richards and mastered by Johnny Coddington at Bottle Rocket Recording. For more information about DK Witness, follow us on social media at DK Eyewitness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. And don't forget to please like, rate, review and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcast. Your support means so much to us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.